Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we bring Marvel's first family back into the game, find out who is bringing back the Runaways, see how the Dark Knight 3 ended, and discuss Wonder Woman. Stay tuned for all this and more! Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. Oh, jeez. Why did that happen? I'm David. That noise over there was Nick. Uh, he's been replaced by just random noises. And I think we're going to get a... R2-D2. <laughs> we're we're going to get a better show experience overall for everybody. Uh, mostly me, not having to deal with... David, have I ever told you I hate you? Today or like in general? Because the answer to both is yes. Have I told you I hate you today? Yes, before the show started. You may I have... did say that before the show yeah, started. Well, yeah. good. Then, but now all of our listeners know just how much I absolutely positively despise your existence. Man, we've gotten real negative on one another the past few weeks. Where <laughs> the Black Eyed Peas might ask, where is the love? Black Eyed Peas song? You yeah. know that. You would be a major Black Eyed Peas fan. I can see it in your eyes. First of all, I'm not. Second of all, how do you not know that song is a Black Eyed Peas song? David, I, this is how I find music. I listen to the radio still. What? I'm sorry. And I Grandpa. Shazam it. Grandpa, what? Yeah, Grandpa uses Shazam. I Shazam it. It tells me the name of the song, and then I add it to no uh, goes directly to a spotify playlist that i created no be honest and that's all the music i listen to you do you do what we all do with shazam which is like i should look this song up all right look it up okay i should remember that song later and then you put your phone away and then like six days later you hear the song again and you shazam it again you're like oh man i remember i heard that i want to i want to add it to like a playlist and then you never find out the song like yes i used to be that way but then shazam integrated with spotify so that the second i find the song i can immediately add it to a playlist on my spotify account so nick you've gotten so lazy that these two apps had to merge for your life to find meaning yeah but at least i'm accomplishing my tasks while you're be living in disappointment because you never ever actually remember the name of the song which I also don't remember the names of any of the songs that I okay, had. No, I, I think I think to... if the opening for this has proved anything, is that I do remember the names of songs and artists and that you have no idea what you're talking about. And today's top story, something about seagulls. What? That's how, that's how it plays, right? That's that's what I'm I'm doing the segue or the the slide. Oh, buddy. Did I ruin it? I ruined it. Yeah, this is uh, super awkward now. How how are you? <laughs> yeah, listening audience, how are you? We want you to uh, we want you to fill out our comment card um, that you that you find in at the podcast. So like write on a piece of paper your comments uh, and thoughts on the show so far, and then drop them uh, into the nearest potted plant, and we will collect them 
We have people who go around to all the potted plants, and they gather up all them notes, and then we read them. It's actually a trained squirrel. This is not recovering. <laughs> I'm doing a hell of a lot better than you are. Um, I'm hilarious, and you're stupid. Wow, Nick, you are spiraling tonight. I'm just going to say that. I had an hour-long drive home, but that's okay because our listeners are not here to talk to listen about how I had an hour-long drive home. They want to hear about comic books, comic-related news, and other pop culture factoids and fun stuff. That's right, folks. Here on the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast, we discuss the latest comic book news, which we're going to do right now. Let's head on over. Our top story today. After a disappointing summer, Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. All right, our first news story today. You probably already know this, but hey, let's discuss it a little bit. Wonder Woman, in its first weekend, grossed a hundred, well, a hundred point five million dollars domestically, much more internationally. But this film, this is a a great box office gross. It is the highest gross for a female director, at least of um of a or highest opening weekend for female director, especially of like an action film, and it outgrossed. Uh, it's one of the highest non-sequel superhero movies as far as grossing goes, and has outgrossed in its first weekend Man of Steel and Iron Man from when they debuted. Now, Nick, we're going to get into a discussion of this movie later on, but we just want to talk numbers right now. How do you feel about this $100.5 million domestic gross for Wonder Woman? Well, David, it's um, it's a really big number. It's uh, more money than I will ever see in my lifetime, in about 10 lifetimes. I'm assuming I'll be a squirrel in the next one, one of the potted plant squirrels. Um, I hate myself. Um, but uh, people aren't hating Wonder Woman, so I think positive word of mouth coupled with, again, good reviews and just the fact that people seem to be excited for going into it. And granted, you know, I think it... Uh, it can't be undersold that, you know, it, it, the movie in of itself, regardless of how it actually is, you know, execution or whatever, that like this is an important movie. It's a it's a major step. It's sad that it has to feel like a major step. But the fact is, it is. And it's nice that finally the numbers can vindicate it in a way as far as being both a female produced, created and female led superhero action film. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm really happy to see that the numbers are doing really well. Now, granted, this is the first weekend. That's really good. Uh, and like I said, it, it has been getting positive word of mouth. Um, but how is I'm really curious about weekends two, three. Like, what's its final total going to be? So the projections are that it's going to be leading in its second weekend as well as it goes up against The Mummy starring Tom Cruise, which is not getting great uh, box office projections. Which I have to say I'm not surprised at all about. Uh, yeah, I, an important thing now, opening weekends are really big. Uh, they are important that the studios do put a lot of stock in that. Uh, but a real show of a movie success is its staying power, where you have something like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which has made, I think, uh, it's made over 300 million domestically, which is a big number. It's it's on you know it's on track to keep making money, maybe get close to that 400 million, uh, which is uh, it, from a domestic standpoint, it's really big, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it and not a lot of movies have that staying power. Even like you'll have movies that have a great opening weekend or have like a decent opening weekend, they'll make like 80 million, and then 
they just kind of like peter off and and don't really make a whole lot more money and you know people will be like oh seemed like a really big deal but why are they not like why is there not more buzz around it well because everybody who's going to see it saw it in the first weekend and right. stopped going it's so like the second weekend yeah you're gonna have people who haven't seen it people who are going on repeat viewings and i know some people uh were talking about online how they like bought, already bought tickets to go see it again so i think this is a movie that does have some staying power and we will see at least a good second week showing uh potentially right. carrying on I don't C- know. certainly movies that 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 if they debut like with incredibly weak numbers, chances are they're not going up. Granted, like no. the numbers will go down weekend over weekend, but if you can start off with a really strong opening weekend again, going back to that like positive word of mouth and the reviews, that's going to bring more people into seats the following weekend because you have a hundred point five million dollars worth of people that have already seen it. They're letting everyone else that they need to go see it or see it again. So yeah. Uh, just a reminder, this week coming out, we have The Mummy. It'll be going up against that, and from everything we've heard, it'll be doing just fine against The Mummy. The week after that, we have Cars 3 and uh, Rough Night. Uh, I think Cars 3 will probably unseat it because little kids love the Cars movies. That's how Disney Pixar makes all of its money, is Cars. So yep. I, I don't think we're going to see it 3 Pete. But at least this weekend, and I don't think it's going to fall off. I think it'll still have some strong box office showings. It'll right. just probably not be number one that weekend. But I'm a, and I'm not sure how like and like Pixar. I mean, Pixar movies are obviously huge, but it could be that it gets unseated for one weekend and then maybe comes back to number one the following weekend. I don't know. Well, but I, I'm certainly not an expert. Yeah, looking at it, there's not a lot the weekend after that, but. Transformers 5 will be coming out and people do pay money to see those I am told. I have not said People set- do. I mean they've made they're they're in like the top 10 15 like a few of the tra- a couple of the Transformers movies are or yeah. they're like all up there. Ever since so- I was uh, unwillingly convinced to go see Transformers 2 at a midnight showing, I refused to be in the same room as a Transformers film. I was so mad about that movie. So it, Transformers 2 was bad, it's, it's and an I am atrocity. by no means defending Transformers 1. However, at the time, I didn't know I was young, David. I was young, and I didn't know like anything about the world. And uh, I, I used to do big midnight showing gatherings with the friends that I used to have. I don't have friends anymore. Um, true. And uh, we went to see Transformers, and my brother was there. Now, my brother and I were big into Transformers as kids. I mean, my dad hates the animated movie because when he worked at a video store, we would make him rent it every weekend we visited him and he hates us. Um, so we're sitting there, we're watching Transformers. Again, I was young. As far as I was concerned, I was like, yeah, this movie's pretty good. Um, but we get up to the climax spoilers and Optimus Prime is about to confront Megatron and he says, one shall stand and one shall fall. And my brother and I, we did not plan this. We both like just went wahoo in the theater um, because it's a freaking awesome saying. Um, and yeah, it was it's a great moment. So the first one does have a little bit of a soft spot in my heart. It's been Ooh. since probably since it came out that I saw it. Like so, I'm sure if I watched it again, I'd be like, this movie sucks. But I can't help it. I had to put that out there. I had to get that off my chest. Um, uh, this is a this is a safe space for anybody but you. You are being judged thoroughly in this moment. Our, thanks. Yep. Yeah, so we're moving to our next news story, which is that 
the Fantastic Four are returning to print in the Marvel Legendary game. Upper Deck has announced they will be printing new printings of the Fantastic Four expansion. They have they have not printed one for a few years. I don't think this article mentions how long, but they do say that it was because of a licensor-controlled issue, which means that Marvel was the reason that it stopped, not Upper Deck. Now, there was a lot of speculation for the last few years that Marvel put a stop on X-Men and Fantastic Four merchandising and, and toys and statues and all that because they were trying to tank the movies, I guess? Or the, the, that it, was the rumor mongering that was going around that it started with Ike Perlmutter at the top basically hurt or whatever. Apparently that dude's crazy, but I don't know. Um, so the word goes. Um, that he you know, didn't want to give any quote-unquote free press, so to speak, to the, the Josh Trank Fantastic Four movie. So as you already kind of said, they pulled all like the licensing agreements. And I mean, there's a lot of conspiracy around it. There's probably elements of it that are true. Certainly the licensing fact that the, this licensing company, which has no reason to like sort of give in to the, the um you know the conspiracy i don't think they were commenting on this conspiracy in any way but saying like yeah it was because the licensor wouldn't let us do it so you think well it's weird if marvel wouldn't let someone do something like that so the fantastic four is their own property why not um but then like if you go to the comics like the comic did like wrap up around the same time every marvel comic wrapped up going into secret war secret war basically was a fantastic four event and it did end with the dissolution of the Fantastic Four and, and Reed and Sue and a few characters in kind of a limbo state. But um, it's kind of like when Thor, like they canceled Thor back around the Avengers disassembled, waited a few years, brought him back post-Civil War. And like Thor, I mean, like his numbers have fluctuated, but like that was a huge comeback for Thor. So maybe it's all been part of Marvel's plan as far as the publishing division goes to like take the Fantastic Four off the board purposefully um, so that people would grow fondly, like to miss them and bring them back, you know, bigger and better than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also licensor issue. Yeah. And there was a recent, uh, there was a recent explanation or not explanation, but a recent announcement that there were going to be some new X-Men merchandising coming out. So whatever weird stuff happened there seems to be getting lifted. Nobody's really like talking about it too much at this point. I think because it just all seemed so bizarre that people are probably just like, oh, cool, like this stuff's back. And uh, as someone who has the Marvel Legendary game, I can tell you that like the Fantastic Four expansions were going for insane amounts of money. Uh, so it's cool that I now will have the chance to get my hands on it because people said it was, it was a pretty good expansion. So it'll be nice to be able to get my hands on it and not have to like consider paying a couple hundred dollars. Wait, so there there was a previous Fantastic Four there, expansion? There was, and then it went out of print. Oh, so this is... I, I guess I didn't read the article too closely. <laughs> Journalism for me. Um, but so they're saying that they're just bringing the previous expansion yeah. back into print. Yeah, they are printing new versions. Not new versions. It's the same version, just printing new printings, I guess. Gotcha. Yes. Cool, so, cool, cool. cool. Um, well, uh, maybe when I come to visit you, if you still allow, allow me into your house, uh, you'll have to show me how Legendary works. Um, but in other fun, fantastic Marvel news, the uh, Runaways, who we had talked about previously in the show, is they announced the Hulu series. They revealed the first trailer. Um, 
have not, also not trailer, just image so far. I think. No, there was a trailer. Was there? Was... I've missed it. But now I'm trying to remember if it was a leaked trailer. I think it was, it was a leaked. It, it was a leaked trailer. I'm ninety percent sure it was just a leaked trailer. Cool. Yep. So we'll just pretend it was just a poster. Um, I don't think it was leaked, man. But that's a story for another day. Anyway, I, I Marvel don't, I, also anyway not important. Marvel also announced a new Runaways comic series uh, mm-hmm. and announced their creative team, which includes Chris Anka on art and uh, Rainbow Ra- Rainbow Rowell as the writer. Uh, Rainbow Rowell is a young adult Arthur, and so this is going to be her first comic work. David, what do you think? So, you haven't read Runaways, have you? No, no. We've, I've mentioned that before, that I have never read the Runaways before. So this is cool. Uh, obviously, it's them bringing the you know the TV shows coming out, so let's try to capitalize on that a bit as far as comic book stuff goes. Uh, obviously, I don't really you know I, I'm not familiar with Rainbow Rowell's work, so I can't speak on any of that. Uh, hopefully, it's good. I hopefully fans of this series get what they want. Cool. Yeah, I likewise don't know anything about Rainbow Rowell. Um... I am, however, a fan of Chris Anka's work, and this is definitely a book that I think is tailored for him. I mean, if you look at like the the, the first cover that they show, I mean, obviously these kids are kind of hipsters, but you know, he's very good when it comes to like um, identifying the fashion of a character um, and the character, like what they're wearing in the promo or the the cover image speaks volumes. Um, so, as a fan of the original series. It's a it's a tough concept to crack in the sense that like they had a very specific mandate, which was they were a group of kids, and that what they had in common was the parents knew each other. They discovered that their parents were actually part of like a death cult, basically. They were supervillains, and they run away. And ultimately, the conflict was to you know take down their parents, which they did. Spoilers. <gasps> um, Guess. So well, now, now, this was, now I don't have to read it. Thanks. You're welcome. So, so really, it becomes a story of where do you take it from here? And Marvel, you know, they, they had, like, Joss Whedon come in and tell, I think it was, like, a time travel story. Um, and then I, I think there were some couple, like, miniseries that tied in certain events. And the characters have popped up in some forms in, like, that Avengers Arena book had a couple of them. Um, some characters have just been in Limbo. So it's sort of like they didn't, they haven't really known what to do with them. So it's exciting that Marvel, Grant, as you said, they are capitalizing on the upcoming TV show, um, but that they're they're bringing the band back together, um, and uh, it, it remains to be seen how it gets executed. But hopefully, they found a really good hook that justifies why they're still the Runaways, what their mission statement is, because they're certainly not a traditional superhero team. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, I always when I hear news like stories like this, there's part of me that's like, and I'll try to check out number one. But this isn't a team that I have a connection with, and like the story stuff sounds cool. I really want to check out the older stuff, uh, unless I hear like amazing stuff about this new series. I'm probably not gonna check. And like, let's be honest, I haven't read the Vision series from Tom King yet, so I'm probably not gonna check this out, even if people are like, this is the greatest thing to come out of Marvel in a long time. Because you're a terrible person. Um, no, because there's so much also, other stuff. There's so much other you know, good stuff, man. There's a lot of good stuff. It's 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 a tough time we live in, David. It's a tough time. But to to ride on that note, 
you know, speaking for ourselves, I, I want the book. I always want a book to succeed. I mean, first, I want the book to be good. And that's obviously subjective. And I like things and don't like things. But uh, especially like. Never mind. I want books to be good. So hopefully the book is successful. However, what I think about as far as like, are we are we now 29 year old white males? I guess white doesn't really play into it. Whatever. Take uh, that back. I'm, I'm um, still 28. You back off. Are you still 28? Oh, okay. It's coming for you pretty quickly. No. Um, um, you know, are we the demographic for this book? Probably not. doesn't mean that we can't like it. But yeah. I think about, like, I read Runaways when it was coming out, and I was probably the perfect age for it. You know, kind of, I was probably, like, late high school or early college, I think, around when it came out. To me, I liken it to, like, Scott Pilgrim, which I love Scott Pilgrim. Don't get me wrong. And he was a character that I identified a lot with at the time that I was reading him. Like he came out at the perfect time for my age and where I was at. But now where I'm at, like I look at Scott Pilgrim and nostalgia, if I want to reread it, like nostalgia will carry me through. And it's like objectively to me, which I guess is subjective, um, a very high quality, well-executed series. But like if I was to discover that for the first time now, I don't know if I would like it because I think I'd have a hard time identifying where the characters are at that I've moved past it. And that's my concern with this. Again, just speaking for myself. Right. Right. If I did pick yeah. it up. And I think, yeah. I think that that's, I mean, that that's, it's good. They're bringing a young adult author in on this because it, it probably, they are trying to capture that feel of it that, you know, for original fans, they can come in and get that same sort of feel from it, that it'll have, uh, you know, the same voices of the teenagers that they enjoyed. And, you know, for people who are of the age of the characters in the book, it will hopefully and potentially connect with them in the way that you're talking about, where they will they will identify with the characters and be able to access the stories through them, even if they're about, like, fighting robots and, and raptors and stuff. Mm, raptors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our final news little bit, uh, DC's Legend of Tomorrow, the CW show that ties into the Flaro Super Arrowverse. The Super Flaro Verse of Tomorrow. Super Flaro Verse of Tomorrow. Adds a new cast member who is Tala Ashi, um, and she's being cast as Zari Adriana Tomaz. If that name isn't familiar, you may recognize her as Isis, the former lover of Black Adam in post-crisis continuity. Um and apparently she actually had her own show called The Secrets of Isis, which was back in the 70s, and it spun out of the live-action Shazam show. Which... Boy, that name is unfortunate today. The Secrets of Isis? Oh, yeah, no, very unfortunate. Um, not going to get into that. but <laughs> <laughs> I'm, looking at, I'm looking at pictures of The Secret of Isis show. It's worse than you think. Oh, I guess I have to Google it now. But I'm, what I'm like kind of blown away i had no idea that there was a live action shazam show yeah that i'm gonna that is news to me as well uh but that's something that i you know oh shazam geez, half hour so by filmation worse. was it live action well the it was of, devices was anyway uh let's, anyway yeah let's talk a little bit more about what's happening here all right, so um, I haven't. Are you, you're caught up with Legends of Tomorrow, right? I am still watching season two. They just dumped all of the CW stuff. I think I talked about this a little bit last week. They just dumped all the CW stuff on Netflix, and so I am beginning slowly to to work my way through it all. The grand binge of three slash four shows at a time. 
Yeah, well, hopefully I get to them before the uh, next season start, but we'll see. Um, a description of the character from The Hollywood Reporter describes the character as a Muslim American who is a gray hat activist, which I have no idea what. I mean, I know what hacktivist is, but so, gray hat. So, so like black hats are people who commit crimes and do stuff, like bad stuff, and white hat are like the good guys. So gray so hat in is someone... terms, these are the chaotic neutral. Yeah, this is someone who operates in between those two zones. They're kind of in it for themselves, but like they're not like robbing banks and like digitally uh-huh uh-huh okay interesting and i mean so she, she's apparently she's being recruited from the year 2030 and she has secret hidden powers derived from an ancient source presumably the goddess isis from would that be egyptian mythology well i will tell you this much the secrets of isis tv show certainly clung to that because boy was that probably offensive based on everything that i have seen uh, we don't know for sure if this character's power source is going to be Isis. It most likely will be. Uh, I think it's cool that they are expanding the cast further and adding a bit more diversity. Watching this last season, you know, I kind of realized there was only one person of color on the show. And then like they, they brought on Vixen as more of a permanent fixture, uh, which was really nice to see that happen. So for an ensemble show... Man, is it very, very white and mostly men. And I get like that's kind of the way of things. Like that's just kind of how it goes. But I like to see like these little ways in which they're trying to uh, step it up of, of adding some some new people. Uh, so we're not just getting the, you know, the, the white male perspective on everything. Right. And if anyone knows white males, it's you and I. Um... Yeah, two white males. Two white males. We're here to uh, we're here to pat you on the back for your diversity, CW. Good job. <laughs> Supernatural. That's as white bread as it gets. Oh uh, man, no one cares about our opinions. Um, but they care about Supernatural, which has no end in sight, according to a recent story. Weird. I have not gotten into that show. I have a couple friends that are like first, super into it. First five seasons, real good. Everything stop, else, not so stop much. Stop after that. <laughs> All right. Well, so very cool. Uh, I remember when I was kind of, I got into DC comics around infinite crisis and there was some, I want to say it was in the new 52 series. Um, and somewhere around that orbit, there was a lot of like black Adam stuff. And also I actually, yeah, ISIS, I think started the modern ISIS at least started in the, the 52 weekly series. Boy, that um, name is super unfortunate. The modern ISIS started in a DC comic book. <laughs> yeah, I guess that sounds wrong. But, um, uh, and I remember, like, really liking the character. I mean, if you haven't read the, the 52 Weekly series. Um, they used advertisements to sell both X-Ray specs and membership into a terrorist organization. Continue. Uh, I really like the character. Let's move on to comics. Really, that's all right. That's all we're gonna leave off here. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and listen to an ad for another show before we do our reviews. Do you like sci-fi, AI, and technology? Do you enjoy going on tangents and down random rabbit holes of a subject? 
Then join me and my friends each week on Brokebot Mountain as some artificially intelligent people attempt to walk through a maze that explores themes of existence and free thought in sci-fi TV, movies, and books. The conversations are unique and bring an unusual perspective to the genre and can literally go anywhere. And we do mean anywhere. You can find us at BlazingCaribouStudios.com or look for Brokebot Mountain on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Make sure to check that show out, guys. We are now going to dive in to our reviews. To the Batmobile. Let's go. All right. Typically, Nick, we start with you. Why would today be any different? Tell us about Eternal Empire number one. All right, David. Eternal Empire number one by Sarah Vaughn and Jonathan Luna. If those names don't sound familiar to you, I have probably gushed about them back when I was reading Alex and Ada, um, their previous image series. Uh, you also might know the name Jonathan Luna from work he did with his brother that I think was named Joshua. I'd have to double check. I'm terrible at this. Um, and they, did, they did some great books like Girls, um, The Sword, um, and Ultra. Um, but anyway, this is a Saravon Jonathan Luna joint, and it's good. Now, I love Alex and Ada. I, I love his art style. It's so... I mean, I guess it's cartoony, but it's not, like, goofy. But it's still, like, it's almost unassuming in a way. So when you actually get into the book and you realize, like, there's some really mature subject material and, like, how the events play out in the book, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's done very, very well. Every time, from, like, reading Alex and Ada to this, this issue especially kind of took me off guard. Uh, I won't go too deep into the plot because I'd love people to experience for it themselves, but I can at least mention that the opening features some sort of ritual happening where you think that a woman who is approaching something off panel is going to be sacrificed, but instead she gets naked and she pets a dragon and makes some sort of comment about how they need to make something. Um, and then flash, uh, flash forwards like 141 years. Um, so I, I think she was uh, going to tap that if you know what I mean. Um, anyway, I'm terrible. Uh, anyway, so it flash forwards 141 to the future, and mostly, and the entire issue basically follows this white-haired woman uh, who I realized I had to go back and look to the issue. They never mentioned her name, uh, and she's basically working in what amounts to like an internment camp where they're being forced into slave labor to do stuff for the Eternal Empress, who you don't meet. Um, from everything from like their works regulated, they're being you know whipped and tortured if they don't perform. Um, to like, oh, some, some success happened. So like they gave them like a beer, um, uh, for it and then like forced them to dance again. I'm not going to dig too deep into it, but it basically, it's, it's clearly following her journey. And when you get to the end, the ending isn't a, like, like a wow, like, uh, you know, like I absolutely have to read the next issue. It's everything that leads up to that ending that makes you want to read it. The writing's really good. It, it, it absorbs you immediately into the world. Um, you're you're wondering what her deal is, like what makes her special. She's basically getting these visions that kind of, despite the fact that her living conditions suck, kind of prompt her to find a way to follow and figure out what those visions mean. Um, so by the time I got to the end of the issue, I was already, I already love this world. Um, and I'm ready to figure, you know, I'm ready for the next issue, which actually came out today. So I saw that and I was like, I'm going to go back and read the first one 
and I did. So now I actually don't have to wait at all to read the second one, but I didn't read it in time for this show. Um, so yeah, Eternal Empire number one by Saraban and Jonathan Luna. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not recommending it, but if I had to make it as a recommendation, I would say check it out. All right, cool stuff. Well, this week I was reading the book that you completely forgot was coming out, and that is The Dark Knight 3, The Master Race, issue 9. This is the last issue here, people. I want to remind everyone that the first issue hit shelves November 2015. Still made better time than Jupiter's Legacy, which I don't think has ended yet. Uh, Anyway. This book, for those who are unfamiliar with The Dark Knight, why are you listening, or The Dark Knight Returns, why are you listening to this podcast? Because how are you into comics? Anyway, The Dark Knight 3 is a Frank Miller story being told by Brian Azzarello with art by one of the Kuberts, and I always forget which one. I'm going to go with Andy, uh, and I will prove myself correct here. Yep. Andy Kubert is on pencils, inks by Klaus Janssen, colors by Brad Anderson. So this book, man, this book has kind of been, let's be honest here, a little bit of a mess. To kind of recap the story for everyone, this book is about an aged Batman uh, who at the end of The Dark Knight Returns faked his own death. I have not read The Dark Knight 2 because I have self-respect. I read it. Because you don't have self-respect. But some stuff there happens there and continues on the story. In this storyline, you have the aged Batman still working in the shadows while Carrie Kelly is apparently running around as Batman and being super weird and crazy and has apparently gone entirely psychotic. Uh, Ray Palmer worked for years... Uh, you know, Ray Palmer, a.k.a. The Atom, has been working for years to release the people of Kandor, the tiny Kryptonian city, and make them big again. And in doing so, it turns out that Kandor was taken over by a bunch of insane Kryptonians uh, who follow this guy named Quar, who is basically a cult leader. And they're going to set about killing humans and destroying the Earth uh, for Krypton. Uh, You also have Superman, who put himself in his Fortress of Solitude in an ice palace situation, froze himself there, got out to handle the situation. It turns out it needed Batman and Superman teaming up. Uh, This, of course, led to Batman being fatally wounded and taken by Superman to a Lazarus pit to be resurrected. This is all happening before this issue, obviously. Uh, they, the Kryptonians also want Superman slash one and Wonder Woman's son. Uh, so they get in a big fight with the Amazons and it turns out guys, you don't fight with the Amazons. So now in their desperate attempt, the Kryptonians make their, their last go at destroying humanity. And you have Superman and Batman getting there to face them and, and put a stop to the master race once and for all. Now, uh, I've said this. Question. Yeah. Uh, so Bruce got put in the Lazarus pit. Did he come back as he's, old? Oh, but no, he's, alive? He's, he's young Bruce. He's young Bruce now. Interesting. Yes. Which, like, this raises okay. some questions of, like, I get that he was mortally wounded, but don't they're Bruce's, Bruce and Clark are supposed to be, like, best friends? Don't you think Clark would be like, hey, the last thing Bruce would want me to do is put his body in a Lazarus pit? 
though this book there's all this stuff about like how he's really like he's really afraid of death and doesn't like want to die in that they kind of led to some like hinting of like maybe this book will end with him finally dying once and for all even though he like faked his death the first time but nope he actually uh, by the end of this spoiler alert is continuing to work as Batman alongside the older Carrie Kelly who is now working as Batwoman she prefers to be called <clears throat> anyway Batman and Superman face off against the last of the Kryptonians uh Ray Palmer ends up helping save the day it, things kind of go a little bit as you expect uh everyone kind of like good wins out evil goes down uh the status quo is kind of returned and things are actually oddly kind of calmed like this world of the dark knight series at this point has gotten really crazy i think like really chaotic uh and this you didn't even read dark knight strikes again so you don't even know how crazy i'm sure yeah that's just like banana cakes uh but yeah this this world is like has felt very chaotic and so the ending like i'm just gonna kind of talk about how things wrapped up overall no major heroes died. You know, we had the return of young Bruce, uh, which, okay, sure, whatever. Again, there's like a lot of like, a lot of like, this, a lot of this being a mess kind of led to some apathy about this book in, in some of these big revelations and like something that could have been like a really cool moment. It's just like, yeah, okay, fine, sure, that happened. <clears throat> so none of the like the main heroes die. You have Bruce return as a young man. Uh, Clark has mysteriously disappeared, though in the insert story, uh, you see that his daughter, who supposedly sacrificed herself, actually in probably, I think, some of the best art this book uh, has to offer so far in this series, um, aside from the Amazonian fight, she possibly died saving the day, but is possibly actually still alive and living in hiding with Clark and uh, and Clark's son and She's going to learn how to love humanity from Superman. Uh, so that's, you know, all whatever. I, I will say a highlight for me for this book is actually the handling of Superman. Because from The Dark Knight Returns, Superman was kind of handled as, approached as a tool. Literally and figuratively. Uh, kind of a douchebag kind of like a lap you know a whole lapdog of the government situation like you have this character as the strong moral compass but it's like he's just being used by the government to do their work and in this one like you see bruce have this reverence for superman superman uh has this like really crazy fight like not crazy but like this fight scene where it's like uh it turns out the way that clark that bruce puts it is like clark's been holding back all these years he's actually like a, an incredible fighter and like potentially even better than batman like there is just this nice acknowledgement of superman being like powerful and and maybe like holding back like with clark or with bruce and like maybe bruce won because clark let him um but there's also this nice like reaffirmation at the end of like they're still best friends and even though clark is in hiding and Bruce isn't where he is. He like wants to find him because they're friends. And like, it was just kind of like nice in this world to have Superman not be the douchebag that he's been in the past two storylines. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, I thought that was a nice place to bring the character. It, 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 like I said, like things just kind of feel less chaotic here at the end than they did at the beginning. And I guess that's a good thing. 
Uh, this world's kind of been calmed down a little bit by the actions. Uh, I don't think I want to see any more in this world. I think we're done. You know, now like we've seen where all the major heroes are. The stories have been told. I'm I'm glad Miller got to tell this last story with the help of of uh, Azarello, but like it's it's over. It's let's give it a rest. Oh, that just fell. Uh, overall, if you're a fan of of the Dark Knight stories, like yeah, this is gonna be for you. If you're not super like familiar with it, it's probably not gonna resonate with you a whole whole lot. So here at the ending, I guess, just my thoughts on it in its entirety. Some really cool moments, some really great moments, but I think as a whole, it's a very flawed book, and you're okay not reading it. <laughs> uh, the honest. art by Andy Cooper, was it good overall? Uh, the art, yes. I, it hasn't been my favorite all the time. Um, he, I think he's really been emulating Miller's style in some places, but mm-hmm. I will say uh, that this last issue especially, it was really great. The issue before where the Amazonians are fighting the Kryptonians was also really great. Overall, his art has been very solid. Um, but I think these last two issues especially, they've been really good. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, uh, yeah I can't – I mean like the idea of Bruce being old and then getting put into the Lazarus pit like is an interesting plot development. And I would be curious to see how how it would pan out. Like, what kind of effect would have that have on? Because obviously, most people that go into the Lazarus Pit come back crazy. Um, but you're right. I do think this is the kind of world that really should have only existed probably in the first, but never gone past the first volume. Uh, though I weirdly enjoyed The Dark Knight Strikes Again. It's a hot mess, but it, to me, it was an enjoyable hot mess. Um, and eventually, I'll probably get around to this book. But Uh, I do want to end on that note that Jupiter's Legacy Volume 2, Number 5, the final issue in that particular volume, did come out in July of 2017. Uh, You realize that it is currently June of 2017. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Holy crap. I can't believe I just did that. (laughs) (laughs) That was amazing. I don't even know where my head was at as far as a calendar, but you're right. So this book did beat Jupiter's legacy volume two, which did get touted as monthly Frank quietly back when the first issue launched in June 29, June 29, 2016. It's taken a year for five issues. Yeah, man. Remember how long it took for volume one? No, I remember, but like, I guess I never kept... I didn't realize this much time has passed. Yeah, dude. Yeah. For five were And they were were even like... They were like, we took this really long break, so there wasn't going to be all these gaps. And here it's been a few months. Anyway. Yeah, issue four came out in October. That's more than a few months. Yeah. Anyway, we are now going to get into our discussion on Wonder Woman here. Uh, I will say real quick, we're probably going to get into it if you... Don't want to get spoiled for that movie. If you haven't seen it yet, you probably want to skip this part of the show. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we can't wait to hear from you next week. But in the meantime, Nick, let's dig in to Wonder Woman, a movie that I very much enjoyed, and I know you did not. 
Well, David, you kind of ruined it because I thought you were going to say, hey, Nick, what did you think? And then I was going to say, well, David, I actually really liked it. And just to mess with your brain. Um, that would have been like, cool, show over. Thanks for coming, everybody. Yeah. Um, okay, first off, I'm very happy that this movie is doing well. I'm also happy that it's being critically well-received. But I, uh, it, it is true... That you hate my women. Of it, hmm? That you hate women. That that is that was far and away not one of the reasons that I mentioned for not liking the movie. But you're not saying it's not a true fact, which is concerning. Well, no, I don't hate women, David. I hate you. Okay, I hate you so much. Women are cool. Um, okay, just kind of breaking it down. I thought that the beginning of the movie didn't get me off to a good start. And while there was a really strong middle part, specifically the no man's land scene, you know, which a lot of people tout as like the best part of the movie. And I would agree. Mm -hmm. Um, The climax, in my opinion, sucked. Um, So I just kind of, I just didn't start. And I went to this movie like, I mean, I, I had from positive to no expectations because I've been avoiding most of the like, I probably saw the only pulling the first trailer that ever came out for it, um, which I think was just her riding a horse through the woods. So not much of a trailer. Um, and I was I was buoyed by the, the positive reviews. So I went in like, hey, like I'm expecting a good time. It wasn't the worst experience I ever had. Far and away was not the worst experience I ever had. But I just, it just didn't connect with me. And it wasn't, had nothing to do with gender. I just want to emphasize that, David, because you apparently want to paint this picture of me. Um, There was just a couple of, it was more like execution wise. Like there was some noticeably bad CGI. Uh, I felt like the acting in the beginning, like especially, I I just, I wasn't connecting with Hippolyta or, um, Antiope, I believe, is who Robin Wright was playing, her aunt mm-hmm. um, that trained her. The Their acting just... Uh, I wasn't... The mother just basically felt like your typical overprotective mother that's trying to hide the, the truth from their daughter. Like, it, I get, like, that's it's not a bad trope, per se, and it has nothing to do with, like, the fact that she was a mother. Just, like, I didn't feel the chemistry between... I mean, because you only really got most of your scenes with young Diana and hippolyta and then you got like a couple of scenes two or three scenes maybe with adult diana and hippolyta and i just never felt a relationship there it just it just didn't connect with me and then the same thing with antiope um her whole thing was like all right well your mother doesn't want you to be trained so i'm gonna train you and just everything just it just again not bad tropes to, to utilize but the way they felt executed just felt perfunctory and then you get to the the battle scene between the german soldiers on the beach and and spoilers antiope dies um and just and the way she i was like no like she had to the whole like i'm taking a bullet for you it just again it, it all comes down to the execution just did not work for me i barely got to know her i didn't really care for their dynamic and then she's dead. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna chime in here because if I let you go point by point, you're gonna be going through every scene of the movie. Apparently, so we're gonna be here for a while. Because uh, I would do want to like to have a discussion on like on this film, kind of more in general, broad strokes in our last like ten minutes. Dave, that, that was sexist. Broad strokes. Jeez. Anyway. Uh, anyway, I gotta just like I. I guess I get what you're feeling. Like I know some people have also said that like the beginning was a little bit wonky for them timing wise. 
for me, it felt fine. But like, you know, if several people are coming up with that complaint, like then, okay, I'll concede. Like maybe there was something there that like didn't bother me and like it sucks that it bothered you. Um, you know, whatever. It's a film. It's subjective, even though you're wrong. Uh, I felt enough of a connection to the characters. Like, yeah, like if there's anything that I would have wanted more from the beginning and like, this is a two hour and 12 minute film. So it's like, I'm, I'm not saying like, I think there should have been an additional 15 minutes of footage, uh, because two hours and 30 minutes for a superhero film, it's a little starting to get a little long there. WB and Marvel, like let's, let's think here. Anyway, uh, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of the mascara, just like kind of in general, get a better feel of the culture, uh, get a little better feel of like, we, we know they're warriors. We know they, sp- a lot of them spend their time training, but it seemed like there was this whole market set up. Like there's kind of hints at a government system. Like we know that Hippolyta is the queen, but there's also senators. And like, what does that look like? Uh, I, I do think that Themyscira itself could have been painted in a little bit broader strokes. I thought the relationship with everyone in the beginning, like was a little stock. Yes. But like was mostly fine. I felt like the death scene was fine. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, You're really convincing me, David, that no, no, you felt strongly look, about it. Look, look, I'm saying like here, like this beginning like could have been polished up a bit more. Like I'm agreeing with you on that part, Nick. I'm conceding a little bit of ground here. Uh, <laughs> like, but I just don't want us to sit here and try to like go through the film bit by bit. So like, let's talk about just kind of and some yeah, broad. That's fine. And let's kind of go by, by some broad things. Like, I will agree. Like, I think we can. You know, the the third act also was a stock superhero setting it was her fighting the like a big bad and you know punchy punchy things exploding all of that like again didn't bother me as much as it apparently for love uh look man how dare you uh my friend i i i love i i like love whatever that the the love is a central conceit of wonder woman Mm -hmm. i realize there's a little bit of like suspension when it comes to these characters like they're they're defenders of justice and truth and all that but they're also gonna knock the shit out of you mm-hmm. to get there so i realized like but the fact like it just felt like it should have been more unspoken because again she was like i'm gonna I, i'm par- i'm very very paraphrasing but kind of like i'm gonna defeat you with love and then proceeds to freaking electrocute the bad guy when, she, um, when is she like i'm gonna defeat you with love i said i was heavily paraphrasing there there was some kind of statement that she makes and i i it's been like a week since i've seen the movie but th- she makes some and I, I don't know if even that she was saying it out loud i think there was like a voiceover or whatever but there was some declaration about how like love trumps everything and then she fries the guy i could be mixing up my seams a little bit but i felt like that kind of led into that climactic moment and to me for me it didn't work I'll tell you what did work. Again, dealing with broad strokes. The chemistry between Diana and Steve Trevor. Yes, yes. This was th- on point. Strongest yeah. part of the movie. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I and I agree. And uh, I think, you know, Chris Pine and Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot. I'm still not 100% sure. I think it's Gadot. Gal Gadot. I'm not convinced on that. I feel like I've heard. I was what. I'm not saying he's the authority on everything. I was watching her segment on the. Um, uh, who's the Jimmy late Fallon? night show guy? Who? Jimmy Fallon? No, the other one, the redhead. Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien, and he refers to her as Gal Gadot. Yeah, I feel like I swear though I heard her say her name recently, and she said 
Godot. But I, I anyway, not a, not important. Uh, those two actors together, and I think like a lot of people were not expecting her to be able to carry that role. Uh, first of all, I remember when the casting got announced and people were immediately attacking your physicality, and I don't think anybody has any question of that at this point. Um, uh, what, you think she's too skinny? It's not the fact that she's too skinny. Oh, I'm really interested to hear what you're going to say here. Let Okay, I'm no, no, really no. curious. I'm, I'm not, okay, I'm not, I wasn't looking for her to be like freaking She-Hulk in this, by no means. And this really has less to do with Gal Gadot and has like some of my issues with how the CGI worked out specifically like oh you're I know what you're talking about like when when she lifted something and it seemed like there was no strain to it right and I and like says I'm mean, obviously she's super powerful so but I feel like even like and it annoys me when they do this with Superman too from an act like when you're mixing the acting with like the CGI they're obviously not lifting anything or if they are, maybe they're lifting like a giant green foam thing for the green screen. Yeah. But even then, like, it was basically that she was lifting a tank, and just the way that the CGI kind of played it off was that like she had it, really no strain, strain, and then just almost like that she most effort on one arm and just kind of flopped it to the ground over there. But it still wasn't like a, like the the physics were off. That's mm-hmm. that's what rubbed me the wrong way, and because of like the fact that you know, she's on the slender side of muscular. It just, that combination looked bad. But like, again, no man's land scene, like the action scenes were like, where there wasn't slow-mo, there was way too much slow-mo in this movie. When the action just cut loose and she was like bouncing around and like jumping up into that, I think it was a church tower or something. Yeah, when she's like mashed into it, that was awesome. that, that, That was incredible. That, when they just let her move, the action was phenomenal and the visuals were great. Mm-hmm. And she, and, and like, she was a physical presence Yeah. when they slowed her down and did stuff like the tank stuff. It just, it, for me, it just didn't work. Um, uh, you, uh, so one thing I, I, tying into the whole no man's land thing, one thing that I particularly really liked about this film was the way that they handled, uh, the horrors of war and like looking at the realities of it in like a very, real way and not like shying away from like people who are horribly injured or like uh you know like there's the scene where she's walking around uh they're kind of walking through this war-torn area and there's like people crying and like they're struggling with horses and uh like they're trying to get away from the the fight as, as quickly as possible and she wants to stop and help all of them and they have to like drag her away of like you can't help them all and like you know finally that breaks down in the no man's land part like and you have some really great moments of like race in this time or like when she finds out about uh, just kind of the whole stuff with Native Americans. Like there are just like some really great moments that are not shying away from like, yeah, the world is messed up and like war is a horrific thing. And I thought some of those scenes were incredibly strong and really like kind of added to uh, the strength of the film and like her performance and reaction to them were really, really great. Nick, what do you think? I I would agree. Um, there were some parts where, and I get that, like, the fact that she obviously didn't grow up in, quote-unquote, man's world, um, or not even just man's world, but, like, sort of the modern-at-the-time conveniences um, that wouldn't be present on Themyscira, the Themyscira. Did they call it Themyscira in the movie? They call it Themyscira. Whatever. Um, Did you even watch this part- movie? 
Did you I just did, like? I did swear. you just? Did you read that one review that she was like, she's not sexy enough, and that was it? I, I don't think it's important to the conversation, but I thought she was sexy enough. Um, gosh. Uh, wow. Anyway, you're the one that said broad strokes. Um, <laughs> oh crap! Oh, but there were elements where like they were playing up the Navadi. Like I thought I was watching Elf in a few bits, but. Like, which was silly, and silly moments are fine. I get, like, everyone's like, oh, these movies are too, like, dark and dour. So it was nice that this movie had moments of levity. Yeah, yeah. I never felt like her naivety, naivete, like, dipped down into elf territory, personally. Not, not, like, true elf, but there was elf-like moments. But where it worked, as far as, like, the fact that she, um, you know did not grow up in men's world, has not grown up with this kind of conflict that this was like storybooks to her was like when chief mentions like kind of the dynamic of like, like how people are being killed. And then like what happened to your people? Oh, his people, Steve Trevor, AKA white people, you know, wiped us out like fought in the war when it was like, she was like reflecting, you know, even though like it didn't do like voiceovers, like she wasn't overly thinking about it, but like you see how Gal Gadot carries it in like her, her, like her her face and then like how she reacts to certain things that's what i really liked as far as mm-hmm. the fish out of water like how am i adapting to this world and the complexities there yeah. um that's not to say that like when she did like the ice cream scene you know like that was that was pretty cute um again that was probably one of the elfie moments but then there was also like oh baby like she was just running after it, which i granted she was the only, only baby on thin mascara Mm-hmm. It's it's not that the, the that the idea of itself was bad. I just I personally wasn't feeling the execution. If people are, that's totally cool, totally cool. Yeah, and I, I do have plans. This, I just want everyone to be clear. I do have plans. I don't have concrete plans, but I want to see this movie again because um, a lot of times I see movies the first time and I feel like I can be overly critical. Uh, mm-hmm. And I spend too much time thinking about it than just sitting back and enjoying it. And usually, if I get around to a second viewing. I typically enjoy it a little bit more. That remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, but David, other thoughts? Uh, well, we're, we're kind of running down on time here. So I think probably the, one of the last things I want to bring up as a really strong moment and highlight of the film uh, was the Steve Trevor death scene. Yeah. That was handled um, just amazingly well. They lingered on it just long enough Um for uh, to really get his emotions in the scenario without him really like saying a lot of words. Uh, Chris Pine acted that mu- that moment beautifully. It, it was just such a great scene. And I do love like his last lines to Diana. Like I thought this was one of the best romances in a superhero film to date. Uh, his last lines to her, the part where he says like, I'll save the day you save the world is a really great line. And, and then it's like li- ending it with, I love you. Oh, okay. Bye. I'm going to go die on this plane. Uh, but yeah, just like when, when he's sitting there preparing for it, like you, you see it all like it, on Chris Pine's face and like all the emotions he's going through before pulling that trigger. And it was just so well done. So that, that that moment right at the end where he like points the gun at the back of the plane to shoot the canisters uh-huh. and then like they kind of ref- like look back on his face briefly and like you just see that like <gasps> moment and then he does it that that was fantastic that even tugged at my heartstrings and you, I'm heartless yeah you um, you're cold dead just like hearts. my heart my heartstrings that kind of flap in an empty void like they got tugged <laughs> on a little bit <laughs> um, but. And I liked the fact that there was like like Diana when she got knocked off by the explosion, like he's trying to talk to her, that you don't hear anything that he's saying. 
So I personally would have been fine if they did that, which they did, did the whole plane scene, he blows up, and that's it. The fact that they did go back and reveal what he actually said was also fine. I kind of like the idea of not knowing exactly what he said, or if you're a really good uh, lip rip lip reader, um, that you could figure it out. But the, the way that they executed that scene where they do show what he said, they did it from Diane's perspective, which didn't make sense because they the whole previous scene was set up that she could not hear what he was saying. Yeah. But the other scene basically is her remembering what he said, even though she wasn't supposed to be able to hear it. So that's one thing. If they had did it where it was like they cut back to Steve, like if they showed that, like as just like he like he goes to shoot, they show that scene and then they cut back to the plane exploding, that would have in my mind, again just my opinion, would have been better because it just didn't make sense the way that well, they ended up doing it. Well, it, what it could have been to play a devil's advocate here, like it could have been that like the explosion happens and she's just kind of like knocked off kilter and he's talking and she's not registering it at the time because she's reorienting and then like in that moment she's calling back to it and remembering then what he said uh and then sure and i and i can understand that but that and that's where the ultimate again to me the execution didn't work because i felt like the scene clearly made it seem like she could not hear what he was saying but then like if there was some way to indicate that like like that she was like off kilter, but she was hearing what he was saying, you know, it just, otherwise we should have just heard what he said. You know what I mean? Like no point in doing a, a follow-up scene to show it. If you could have done it in one scene. So yeah. that's just my opinion on that. But, but I agree that final moment where he like turns to like shoot the canisters and you see the expression on his face. Perfect. Yep. And that wonder woman theme though. That da, 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 da. All right. That's not the theme. Well, I, you and I, I'm sure we could talk about this film for a lot longer, but listeners, we're not going to subject you to that. Maybe we should have just done a movie discussion instead of talking about some books as well. Oops. Made for Wonder Woman 2. Yeah, exactly, which Patty Jenkins is in negotiations for. She has not currently signed a deal, but she's probably trying to get some more of that money. And I don't know if that's her prime goal, but I'm sure the money is nice. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean... Look, let's be honest, like, she was not a blockbuster director when she came out of this film. She probably, like, not to say she got paid nothing, but she probably, like, took less than, I would say, you know, Joss Whedon is taking to direct Batgirl or the Rousseau brothers take to direct uh, a Captain America film. So now she can probably be like, hey, people love this movie. Pay up, guys. Anyway, we'll talk about... Deservedly so, yes. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But anyway... Anyway, uh, before we head out, we're going to real quick ask ourselves an important question. You boys aren't nerds, are you? Yes, we are. Nick, do you have anything to recommend? I'm going to recommend Doctor Strange and the Sorcerer Supreme, a currently ongoing, I think it may very well may have been canceled, and I just haven't double-checked, Marvel comic uh, written by Robbie Thompson and Robbie Thompson of the aforementioned Supernatural, actually. (laughs) and drawn by Javier Rodriguez, who previously was working on the Spider-Woman comic, which I also enjoyed. Um, Doctor Strange and the Sorcerer Supreme is about Doctor Strange and Sorcerer Supremes being pulled from various points in time by Merlin, that Merlin, um, to combat a threat called the Forgotten. What seems like your typical, like, get the band together and fight evil turns out to be anything but, as we find that Merlin, who is the sort of um, 
guy pulling the band together, um, makes certain offers or promises to the various Sorcerer Supremes in order to get them on board. And of course, the threat that they're facing is anything but what they actually seem. So what's great about this book that I've, that I've been able to read so far is that like every it's not like even though it's a Doctor Strange book and he is present, it's really all the other characters that come into focus because every issue so far has like taken time to reveal, like to dig into one of the characters. Like there's a, a female uh, Native American ghost writer, actually, who's a Sorcerer Supreme from back around when the white people came. Um, there's my history lesson. Um, oh you know, there's um, there's uh, Isaac Newton is one of them. The young ancient one or the ancient one as a young man is there. Um, and then an older Wiccan from the Young Avengers is there as the future Sorcerer Supreme. But every character has a stake in what's going on. Maybe not necessarily a stake in stopping the Forgotten One, but the way that Merlin, and you don't know exactly in the first issue, but each issue reveals to a, a certain degree why they're participating in this endeavor. And it, it almost brings like an old Agatha Christie element to it, like a... Um, like everyone's carrying some kind of burden or secret into this that the other that no one else knows about will that will ultimately impact the narrative. And so far, like what we do know about these characters, I feel like really raises the stakes in an emotional way, in a character-driven way. And I really like that. And ultimately, I really, really, really like Javier Rodriguez's art, which wraps up the whole book. Um, so it's definitely a series that if you haven't checked out, I'd recommend checking out. Excellent. Uh, my recommendation this week is actually fairly tied to that because I'm going to recommend Doctor Strange, which is now on Netflix. If you do not, wow. yep, it is, and I, I rewatched it over this last weekend. Still have some gripes with it, but I will say that it is one of the most visually interesting superhero films that has come out. Uh, it really is a visual delight, and if you want to see what some Jack Kirby artwork looks like come to life, that. This is the film you want to watch. Wouldn't be Jack Kirby, it'd be Steve Ditko. I meant to say Steve Ditko. I even said Steve Ditko, Ditko to the person I was watching the film with this weekend. I don't know why I said Jack Kirby right now. Probably because I am very tired. And that is why we're going to wrap up the show. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. If you have thoughts on anything we talked about, if you have thoughts on Wonder Woman, we want to hear them. Please send them to heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. And you can head on over to heckyeahcomics.com. For more content in general, you can also follow us on Twitter at HeckYeahComics. You can find me on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, under the username DavLuz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. And you can find Nick uh, worshipping at the shrine of Patty Jenkins in secret, wherever (laughs) Nick does that. Hey, I actually started setting up a Twitter account. Hey. And uh, also you can watch me worship at the shrine of Gail Simone's Twitter account. Anyway, you can uh, also find us here next week. Same heck yeah time, same heck yeah channel. Until then, goodbye.
Uh, the worst episode ever.